Willies. Save that for Willie. Anything else? Fiction is full of maps, pirates, abandoned mines, and adventure. From Mikey and the Goonies finding one-eyed Willie's ship filled with gold and valuables, to Joan Wilder in Romancing the Stone cracking open a ceramic bunny to find the emerald jewel sparkling inside. We're intrigued by the search for buried treasure. The promise of covering new territory and more specifically hitting it big has been filling the hearts of men and women since the beginning of time. The idea of getting rich quick through some sort of windfall, find, or winning set of lottery numbers has crossed each of our minds at one time or another. Much of the settlement of the Western United States was based on this very premise. From the pilgrims in the 17th century who came to the Western Hemisphere for religious freedoms, to the Meriwether Lewis and William Clark expedition, which began in August of 1803 after being commissioned by President Thomas Jefferson to map out the land and territory newly acquired through the Louisiana Purchase. Manifest Destiny has been a part of the concept of this country since its inception. Beginning in 1846, at the very beginning of the Great Mormon Migration westward, in which thousands would make their way from Illinois to the Utah Territory, Brigham Young was seeking assistance and understanding from the federal government. He wasn't finding it easily. Young sent Jesse C. Little to Washington, D.C. to seek further assistance. An agreement was eventually reached in which over 500 of the finest Mormon men volunteered to help in the Mexican-American war effort in the Southwest. Young saw several advantages to the Mormon saints enlisting in federal service. It was a trade of sorts. The enlistment of these men would be a public relations victory for the church and would show the saints' loyalty to the United States. In January 1848, the news of gold found in the California Territory at Sutter's Mill near the Sierra Nevada Mountains brought 300,000 people to the region. The promise of a better life seemed within reach for hundreds of thousands. The area had been part of Mexico for quite some time and was ceded to the United States in 1848 after the end of the Mexican-American War. This precipitated California quickly becoming the 31st state in the Union on September 9, 1850. Present in 1848 during the first discovery at John Sutter's sawmill was Henry Bigler. He had been a member of the Mormon battalion during the two years prior and was instructed by Brigham Young to stay in California to gather provisions and earn an income working in the area. Bigler recorded the discovery of gold in his journal several times in early 1848. On Monday, January 24, 1848, he wrote, Some kind of metal was discovered today. It was found in the tail race and looks like gold. It was found by James Marshall, the boss of the mill. Sunday, January 30th, he wrote, Our metal has been tried and proves to be gold. It is thought to be rich. We picked up more than $100 worth last week. $100 in 1848 would be worth about $3,300 today. Sunday, February 6th, 1848. The weather has been clean and warm the past week. Today, myself and Mr. Bargain went over to the creek to look for gold. Found $6 worth in only a couple minutes. Many members of the Mormon Battalion still decided to head back to Salt Lake to meet up with their families in the summer of 1848. But the word was out and people from all over, including Mormons, who had only arrived in Utah the year before, 
would make their way to California for the promise of a dream. Riches were alluring. Brigham Young continued to admonish the saints to build up Zion and remain in and around Salt Lake City and the surrounding valleys, and most heeded his admonition. Staying close to home but still wanting to put food on the table, mines were established all over Utah Territory. Mines present the promise of treasure yet to be discovered, but at times they also provide opportunities for concealment of crimes and keeping dirty deeds from plain view. Welcome to Saints and Sinners, true crime in the history of the West. This is the story of Utah's Tintic Mining District and the disappearance of teenagers Breezy Otteson and Riley Powell. Part 1. Young Love. The city of Santa Quinn sits at the far southern end of Utah County. It's a rather small town, but has grown quite a bit in recent years. Santa Quinn proper has little in the way of significant buildings or landmarks. Several old brick churches dot the small town, and the city library itself is inside of what used to be a church. Leslie's Family Tree Restaurant was a fixture on Main Street for over 36 years until it closed its doors in mid-November of last year. The restaurant itself was yet another victim of that year from hell known as 2020. They served world-famous scones, and the eating area, kitchen, and basement of Leslie's were all said to be haunted. In fact, television shows like Dead Files, Ghost Hunters, and Psychic Kids all filmed episodes there. I remember eating one of their enormous scones in 2017, and I walked into the building the day after they closed the doors last year to customers and it was heartbreaking to see the antlers and photographs being taken off the walls and packed into boxes. But that's a podcast episode for another time. Heading west out of Santa Quinn, you come to a small range of mountains, and as you round the northern end, you enter yet another valley. You can see the even smaller town of Goshen in the distance. A movie set was built in Goshen, near the southern end of Utah Lake. It was used by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to film scenes depicting stories from the New Testament and the Book of Mormon, another book of Holy Scripture to Latter-day Saints. In fact, very recently, it's been used to film the latest season of The Chosen, a popular streaming series depicting the lives of Christ and the Apostles. It's not too much of a stretch to think of the area as looking like the Middle East. It's dry and sits at the very southern end of Utah Lake. As you round the small mountain range and before you reach Goshen, if you look up to the south on the hillside, you'll see a large, strange-looking, multi-layered structure made up of concrete drums and cement slats, now colorfully decorated in hundreds, maybe even thousands of different colors of graffiti. It is, or used to be, the Tintic Standard Reduction Mill. This large mill, also known as the Tintic Mill or Herald Mill, was built on the hillside near Warm Springs in the Goshen Valley in 1920. It only operated from 1921 to 1925. It's essentially an abandoned refinery. It's worth exploring if you ever have the chance. It's only about a one hour drive from Salt Lake City. It's technically on private property. As you pull off Highway 6, you go on a dirt road for about another half mile and you come to some gates. There you'll need to park and go the rest of the way on foot, about another mile until you climb the hill to the mill. You'll notice a flat grade of dirt and some old railroad ties as you climb. 
This was part of the Tintic railroad system that circled the valley connecting all of the different mining deposits with the refineries in the early 20th century. The tracks are gone now for the most part, but if you look closely, you can see exactly where they used to be. The reduction mill is honestly beautiful as you check out the graffiti that has been added to it and added to it over the years. A lot of it is vulgar, some of it's profound, but all of it is exploding with color. You'll see everything from quotes from William Ernest Henley, snippets from scriptures, to the type of vulgar things that you might read about on the bathroom stalls of a junior high school. It's a great place to take pictures with the valley below and the blue sky behind it. An excellent marriage between human created art and natural surroundings. It's a great place to take a date, explore with some friends, or just walk around on your own and ponder life as you listen to the wind whistling through the abandoned walls. You're now in Utah's Tintic country, a mining district for the last 150 years and a region full of secrets and lots of places to hide them. Heading back to Highway 6 and continuing westward toward Eureka, there's another turnoff about two more miles west of the reduction mill. Here you'll find a dirt road that will lead several miles north to the old Tintic Railroad Tunnel. It's a great location for ATV riders and dirt bikers for the most part, but a hundred years ago, it's where the Tintic Railroad would cut through the hillside and make its way up the mountain with more loads of ore, minerals, and valuable metals. Also known as the Elbert Slant Railroad Tunnel, it's a really fun place to explore. The tunnel's about 235 feet long and well over 20 feet high in several spots. You might get lost looking for it even with Google Maps, so make sure you switch to satellite view when you get near it so you can make out the landmarks and find it a little bit easier. Some of the dirt road in this area is pretty washed out, so make sure you have a vehicle with good ground clearance as you explore. After heading through the old dirt tunnel and making your way back out to Highway 6, it's only about another six and a half miles west to the town of Eureka, where on December 29th, 2017, our story begins. That December Friday started like pretty much any other day for Riley Powell and Braylon Otteson. They had a burgeoning young romance and were enjoying each other's company during that week of Christmas break. A bright new year was right around the corner, with lots of promise. Braylon's friends called her Breezy, another indicator that she was easy to get along with and drama didn't regularly cross her path. Riley was 18 and Breezy was 17 years old on that late December day. Neither of them knew that less than 24 hours later, people would start to wonder where they went off to. Riley Powell was born in Provo, Utah on April 28, 1999. Shortly after he was born, he, along with his two older sisters, were adopted by their grandparents, Bill and Linda Powell. Their biological mother, Misty Carlson, was a drug addict and unable to care for the children. Bill and Linda Powell eventually got a divorce and had somewhat of a joint custody arrangement. The two girls would go live with Linda while Riley would live with Bill and Eureka. Riley always looked to his grandfather as his only father figure, due to the fact that Riley was only a young boy when he was adopted. He had no shortage of problems growing up. At one point during high school, he was expelled for bringing a rifle to school. That was an absolute no-no in these post-Columbine times. Riley claimed that he brought the gun to school because he planned on going rabbit hunting as soon as class let out. He was expelled anyway, and was sent to live in a boys' home in Fairview, Utah in San Pete County. He graduated from North San Pete High School and found work as a plumber, a respectable job. 
At this point, he was already dating Breezy and the two got along really well. Riley had a shy demeanor, but he loved to joke around and Breezy enjoyed that about him. He was described by many as being one of the nicest kids they'd ever met. He loved to play basketball, go jeeping, drag racing, and just enjoyed hanging out with his friends. Breezy was born on January 27, 2000 in Salt Lake City, Utah. She had one brother and four sisters. In July of 2012, her mother, Nanette, was killed in a car accident, and Breezy and her siblings went to live with her grandfather in the town of Tooele. She took the death of her mother extremely hard and had a difficult time finding her place in the world. At a young age, she was already very independent and feisty. She drew people to her with her welcoming demeanor. She loved swimming, gymnastics, and listening to music. Breezy lived with her grandpa in Tooele until August of 2017. That month, she got into a huge argument with him, and she moved in with her father, Kenny. A short while after living in the house with her father, things were going well with Riley, so she moved in with Riley and Bill in their home in Eureka. By January 2nd, 2018, it had been four days since anyone had seen Breezy and Riley. The families of the two teens went to the Juap County Sheriff's Office and filed two missing persons reports. Due to the ages of the two, an Amber Alert wasn't sent out. The family said to the police that the last time the two were seen was on the morning of December 29th around 9.30. They left from Eureka in Riley's blue Jeep Cherokee and headed for Twilla about an hour away to visit Breezy's family for some holiday celebrations. They said their goodbyes to Bill Powell, and he never saw the two alive again. They both had phones, but no cell service, and would rely on Wi-Fi to keep in contact with their friends and family. That made sense not only for monetary reasons, but also the fact that Eureka sits in kind of a canyon, surrounded by rock walls and mines, and cell service is difficult for anyone to come by in the area. They would normally use Snapchat and Facebook Messenger to communicate with the outside world. That'll come into play later on. Three days later, on January 5th, two search parties were organized. One was near Eureka and one near Tooele. Juab County Search and Rescue headed up the search near Eureka and about 50 or so members of the Utah Off-Road Recovery Team volunteered to spend time helping with the search. Originally, the families thought that it was possible that the two missing teens had gotten stuck in Riley's Jeep on a dirt road somewhere near Eureka, Mammoth, or Tooele. The area is filled with rough roads, outcroppings, and dead ends where people who recreate get stuck from time to time. During the initial search for the two in Tooele, some volunteers claimed that they found riding in the snow outside of town that said stranded, walking, and they went to find authorities and bring them back to the search site. When they returned, the riding was no longer there, most likely due to the regularly high winds in that area, so it was a lead that could no longer be followed. The families offered a $2,000 reward for anyone who had information on the location of the missing teens, or at the very least, Riley's blue Jeep. On January 7th, they purchased some minutes for Riley's phone and were hoping that by doing so, they would possibly be able to ping the location of the smartphone. These attempts were in vain. There was no answer on the phone, and they were unable to obtain a location of its whereabouts. This indicated that most likely the phone had been completely powered off at some point. This will also come into play later on. The families posted to a Facebook page that they were looking for the teens and they got a comment from someone saying that they had located a campsite with a tent near Tooele 
that looked to be abandoned. The searchers were worried as the area is dotted with mine shafts. It was also a bit strange that a tent would be set up in the area for multiple days in the middle of winter. It was subsequently found that the tent and the gear located didn't belong to Riley and Breezy. Another dead-end lead. On January 9th, the families tried to obtain footage from the Utah Department of Transportation traffic feeds in the area to see if they could locate Riley's Jeep driving somewhere near town. They found out that those feeds were live and there was no database to store the footage that it had been recorded previously, so that turned out to be a dead end as well. Later that day, police conducted an interview with two residents from the town of Mammoth. Mammoth is about three and a half miles from Eureka. The two interviewed were 41-year-old Jared Baum and his 34-year-old girlfriend, Morgan Henderson. Morgan Henderson was thought to be the ex-girlfriend of Riley Powell, 16 years her junior, and the police were trying to follow all the leads they could. During that interview, Morgan and Jared weren't suspected of any foul play, nor was there any supporting evidence indicating that they were involved at all with the possible disappearance of the two teens. When asked whether the two were aware of the missing teens, they both denied having any knowledge of them at all, which did seem a little bit strange because their going missing was already big news in the area at this point. Over the course of the next few weeks in January, two major theories prevailed as to where the teens might have gone. One was that the two families had them in hiding, possibly to avoid prosecution for some drug-related charges. That seemed like a bit of a stretch. The other commonly held theory is that the teens simply just ran away together. Utah's Tintic region and adjacent West Desert are no strangers to missing persons cases, courtesy of Channel 4 in Salt Lake City, Utah. You're watching ABC4 News at 5. Taking action, getting results. Four months, still no sign of the West Valley woman, Susan Powell. But a spring has melted away the snow. The search for Susan continues today. I'm John Dupree. Professional searchers gathering in Tooele County today. It was the long-awaited search of Simpson Springs. This is where Josh Powell says he camped with his young boys the night Susan disappeared. ABC 4's Brent Hunsaker has the story from the base camp for the search. The search today was not what was envisioned by organizers over a month ago. We didn't have hundreds of volunteers out here combing the West Desert. What we did have was a focused operation with about 70 people, all of them highly trained. They're former military law enforcement. We had EMTs here today. All of them know search and rescue. Before dawn, they gathered. You'll take that one. We'll take the third one. So Split up into teams and geared up. That news clip was from the spring of 2010. In December 2009, Josh Powell allegedly took his wife, Susan Powell, out to the West Desert with their two boys. Josh and the two boys would return. Susan was never seen again. On February 5th, 2012, in Washington, Josh would kill his two boys and commit suicide. Another sad day in that tragic tale. Last weekend I drove to the West Desert along the Pony Express Trail with some friends. The old trail used to go right through the area between Eureka and Tooele. It would pass right through Simpson Springs, which is where Susan Powell was thought to have gone missing. 
It was a trail used for mail delivery by horseback in the early 1860s. It stretched from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California, and was sort of a relay race on horseback where a letter was said to be able to leave Missouri and arrive in California in 10 days. Keep in mind that the first transcontinental railroad in the United States didn't open until May 10, 1869. The connecting point being at Promontory Point in northern Utah, about 200 miles north of where the old Pony Express Trail was. We had conversations about campouts we would have with the Boy Scouts while we were out there last week. We used to goof around on those old Boy Scout camps, and I loved Simpson Springs and exploring the area. That's what I remember about Simpson Springs. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember much about it. I remember staying up all night and kind of being annoying like to our leaders. I'm pretty know. sure we were all that way when we were, we're all 13. If you've ever been around a 15-year-old, now you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we were like that, though? Probably, right? Like, I think there's a spectrum. Yeah. Like, I like to think of myself as I was one of the good kids, but I can remember some things I did that, like, were probably pretty annoying. Yeah, me too. Back to our story. Things were not adding up at this point at all for the Audison and Powell families. The two teens had told everybody that they planned on celebrating the new year together with their families, and then they didn't show. There was no evidence of them having packed up any clothes or belongings to leave town. On January 11th, Riley's Jeep was located by a search helicopter near Cherry Creek Reservoir in Juab County. It was parked off the road and hidden in some trees. The vehicle was found with all of the windows rolled down, which didn't make sense at all. It was the middle of winter, and there were multiple belongings of the two teens just sitting in plain view on the front and rear seats. There was a tie-down strap still wrapped around one of the leaf springs of the Jeep, and the two rear tires were slashed. All of these were indicators that the vehicle was potentially towed there and dumped. Cadaver dogs were brought into the area, and it was searched thoroughly. There was no other indication that Breezy and Riley had been there at all. No footprints, no clothing particles. The cadaver dogs didn't seem to be drawn to anything. Nothing. On January 15th, due to probable cause, a pair of search warrants were served to Misty Carlson, Riley's biological mother. A witness had come forward and reported having seen a blue two-wheel drive Chevy truck driving on January 2nd pulling Riley's Jeep going southbound from the Tooele area. The description of the blue Chevy matched exactly the truck that Misty's boyfriend Lee Shepard drove. Misty was living with her boyfriend Lee at the time, as well as her mother Linda Powell and Linda's boyfriend Clubby. Misty, Linda, and Clubby went to the sheriff's office and agreed to answer questions. Lee Shepard declined, and he stayed back at the house. The police wanted to know where Misty and Lee were on the night of December 29th. Misty said that she and Lee were at home all night, but Linda's boyfriend, Clubby, said that they had left the house for multiple hours that night. Things weren't adding up. Back at the house, the crime task force was searching Misty's property and they discovered the blue Chevy truck that was reported by witnesses. Inside the bed of the truck, they found a tie-down that was identical in pattern to the one that had been found attached to the leaf spring of Riley's Jeep. Cadaver dogs were then released again there at the house. They showed a lot of interest in and around the truck, 
so the truck was impounded. Lee was enraged. Inside the house, searchers found multiple marijuana bongs and pipes and drug paraphernalia. They also located a receipt dated December 28th from a store in Eureka. Now, if you'll remember, that's the day before Breezy and Riley went missing. A couple of days after the search of their home, Misty, Linda, and Lee took a trip to Wendover, Nevada to gamble. Wendover is just over the border from Utah. Now, Wendover police contacted Tooele County and let them know that Misty Carlson was transferred to the University of Utah that night to the hospital after a suicide attempt, and Lee was being extremely difficult and wouldn't identify himself. Also, Misty never attended any of the searches of the two teens. Things were getting weirder and weirder and weirder. On January 17th, a man named Jesse Sanchez posted a Facebook on the page dedicated to the search of the teens. He posted a photo of searchers going down one of the mine shafts in the area. He explained the danger of searching these mines and all that it entailed. On January 26th, Morgan Henderson gave another interview to police. Remember, she was the one who was 16 years older than Riley, but it had allegedly dated him before he dated Breezy. She offered up her own theory to the police of what could have happened to the teens. She now admitted to police that she did in fact know Riley, and she saw him one day having a confrontation with an unknown male. She put forth the idea that Breezy and Riley might have ripped off someone from the cartel over some acquired drugs, which may have resulted in them being harmed. Morgan was shifty, and her stories weren't adding up. During the interview with Morgan on the 26th of January, police interviewed her in their patrol car in front of the house. And while this happened, a menacing-looking Jared Baum, Morgan's boyfriend, took a chair and planted it right in the middle of the front lawn, facing the car, and he proceeded to stare the police and Morgan down during the entire interview. The police paid attention to the look on Jared's face and began to wonder if Morgan and Jared had something to hide. Next time, we will conclude our story and find out what really happened to Breezy Otteson and Riley Powell on a night in late December in 2017. I'm Chad Mortensen. Thank you for listening to Saints and Sinners, True Crime and the History of the West. Mm -hmm.